Welcome to the Money Talks Money Matters podcast. We're here to take away the stigma of money and provide a transparent platform of knowledge for anyone that tunes in. The goal is to give 20-year-olds the perspective of 80-year-olds in regards to business, finance, and decision-making. My name is Darian Williams. And I'm Sean McHenry. Today, we had the pleasure of talking with Simeon Breyer. He's a city commissioner of District 1 in Parkland, Florida. Today, we discussed the value of starting early, the importance of balancing logic and emotion, and the success story of Simeon himself. This is the Money Talks Money Matters podcast. Let's launch right into it. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. This is season two, episode 17 of the Money Talks Money Matters podcast featuring Simeon Breyer. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, would you kind of just want to do like a little walkthrough of how you got started and basically why you're here? Sure, sure. Um, let's see. Uh, I grew up in Parkland, went to Stoneman Douglas for high school. I'm an attorney. I have two daughters and a wife. Uh, I'm also a city commissioner in Parkland. I was elected last year and I'll be uh, back up for re-election this November. And I'm honored to be here. Awesome. So let's get started. What was it like in college? Where did you get started with? What was your first interest? You know, I... From a young age, I decided to be a lawyer, and so I knew that I was going to go that route. So I, I majored in political studies, political science. Uh, I also had a minor in communication and did a, a good number of courses in psychology and those kind of things. And so it was a natural progression from college to law school. Did you want to be mainly a lawyer? Did you know you want to get in politics as well? I, I did not know that I wanted to be in politics at the time. Uh, my wife, um, my now wife, when we were dating, um, uh, had started working for a state representative and a state senator, and then had started moving up the food chain and eventually worked for a U.S. congressman. So she was the political one. I was the one who went with her to events <laughs> and, and never really had uh, much of an interest in, in politics. I always paid attention, um, especially to the national stuff, but then decided, you know, after, uh, especially after the shooting at Douglas, um, raising kids here in Parkland, um, I decided that if I wanted to be part of the solution, that I would um, go and, and run for office. And it was, you know, definitely getting out of my comfort zone. Um, but I'm so glad I did it. And, you know, I love the city I grew up in. And, and my job is not to not screw it up. Uh, Parkland's a great place to live. It's, it's grown from about 1,000 people when we first moved here, when my family moved here, to now 35,000. And so my job is to not mess it up. How much time do you spend on each um area of your skill set as far as the lawyer profession and then the commission profession where it is yeah i mean so each one of the commissioners has a and the mayor have full-time jobs a separate and apart from their service to the city so i'm a, a corporate litigation attorney i'm with a, a a large national firm of about 800 lawyers so that's a pretty demanding job and the city stuff um is definitely a, a passion and it's, it's as much as you can put into it. So I try to be at as many events around the city as I can, part and parcel because I'm a commissioner, but also because I love it. And, you know, I love seeing we've got tons of friends in, in various communities. My wife, being uh, working for a congressman, is always at events anyway, so it's an easy transition for her and I to go. Um, but we try to be as active as we can. So the city stuff, as I said, it's as much as you put into it. And for me, um, it's something that I enjoy and love. And so, um, you know, I try to be, I try to be, you know, fully engaged. What were some of the things, what were some of the things that set you up for success, um, along this path from becoming, choosing to become a lawyer, 
Um, what were some of your best steps that you took that launched you into all this stuff? Sure. Um, you know, I always took it seriously. I, when I was in high school, I messed around. I was, you know, I, whether it was, it was playing sports or I was in theater and or trying to date girls, <laughs> I was always sort of scattered. Um, when I got into college, I buckled down. And I remember my first semester, um, I worked really hard and I got an A minus, which when I was in high school, if you had told me I got an A minus, I would have jumped for joy, <laughs> right? But I got an A minus and I was pissed. And um, from then on, um, I took college very seriously. And so I, I got good grades. I stressed out a lot. Um, but, um, but it was a natural that when I got into law school, it was even more serious. And um, I had a good group of friends. We had plenty of fun. We played golf. We, we worked out. We played ba basketball. Um, but, you know, we studied together. And it was, um, you know, it was something that I knew I had to work hard at. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a good test taker. But my wife, actually, as we were dating and going through college together, was, um, was the studier. So she, would, she, she helped me to buckle down. Got you. And then kind of just walking back to your college days and especially you being a lawyer now, what was your first internship in college and how did that help you to be the person that you are today? Yeah. So when I was at FSU, um, I worked at a law firm um, and it was a very um, closed door, stuffy, white shoe uh, law firm up in Tallahassee. Um, and it, it at first, you know, I was silent. I would go into I would go into the law firm. I would do my work, say hello. But I didn't have a personality in the office because everybody was super serious. Um, and I remember um, going into um, my first year there. They had a Christmas party, and at the Christmas party, everybody got drunk. Uh, all the partners and and staff got drunk, and that's when they let their hair down. and And I was like, oh, these are regular people, even yeah. though in the office they're tight asses, <laughs> but they're regular people. And uh, it gave me a little bit of comfort level. But you know, the internship that I did, or it was actually called a a, a clerkship, I guess. Uh, at the law firm was great because it set me up. And then when I got into law school, ironically, it was the same law firm, but their Fort Lauderdale office that I, I, I was a summer associate at. We did like uh, on-campus interviews. Uh, I got a summer associate off of there and, and it was off to the races. So was there like a mentor that you followed that kind of helped you through this entire trip? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a number of mentors. I mean, my dad, uh, my dad was in banking. Um, he was always, uh, you know, a, a bit of a workaholic. And so he was definitely a role model for me. Um, and then it transitioned to a number of guys in my life. I had an uncle who uh, was also a banking, ironically, we used to play basketball together, work out together. And, and he was a mentor. Um, and then I started to have some in the legal profession, whether it was the attorneys I worked with or some attorneys that I met. Um, and, and they gave me um, a number of roadmaps that I could follow. And I sort of chose my own. But, um, but they, were, they were great. They impressed upon me uh, your reputation. They impressed upon me um, work ethic uh, and those kind of things. And it led me to you know, having a very good career um, and, and you know, being able to provide for my family. So it was, it was a great opportunity to learn from guys that had been down that road. Uh, and it was, it was uh, very helpful. One thing I'm going to say is your energy is phenomenal. Like I'm really enjoying this. And I can tell that this has been a big thing throughout your career and probably your life as well as that you seem to have a high energy. You seem to have high energy in everything that you do. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I, I try to put my whole heart into everything. Now, sometimes that backfires because, uh, you know, I have this uh, need to try to solve the problems when they're brought to me and I put and, and I invest myself in it. 
And oftentimes that means that I'm stressing out more than the people who cause the problems. Yeah. <laughs> and and so there's there's I mean, that's going back to full accountability. And yeah. Like there's that. there's pros and cons with that. So you know I wish sometimes I could detach myself, but you know I'm in the business and and the city stuff is not much different. But I'm in the business as a lawyer of solving people's problems, especially in litigation or pre litigation. They come, they've got a contract that maybe they shouldn't have entered into, that somebody breached or somebody screwed up, and now I've got to fix it. And and so sometimes I take that a little bit too much to heart because um, I, I care about people, I want to help, um, but you know it's 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 a it's a blessing and a curse, I guess. But it's it's something that you know I just feel that that's the way to do it. Where would you say your emotions, or at least the changes of emotions, are tied to? Is it more helping the people, or is it more just wanting to solve it? And no, it's definitely helping the people. Yeah. I, I've never been when when I get a client in the door, my focus is not on even making money. Yes, I want to get paid for my time. I value my time. I have a high degree of of experience in a, in a variety of areas, and so I think I should be properly compensated. But it's not about that. For me, it's about helping people. And I will oftentimes try to direct clients to do the right thing for them, even though it might not be the right thing for me. So even if a client brings me a matter. Yeah, I could litigate it for three years and make we can make a ton of money or I can get them to solve the problem early on, which is the best thing for them, their business, their family. Um, and and I'll make less, but in the long term, they'll be a repeat client and they'll sure. keep on coming back. And, and that's the success that I've had is, is, you know, doing the right thing by people. And that includes when somebody asks me even for a referral, um, you know, I will tell them to go to a lawyer or a professional that I would go to. I don't do it just for, you know, for, for purposes of generating a dollar. And that goes back into, uh, like knowing what you're best at and your specialty, because I know I don't do too many sports videos, too many sports edits. And then I had a friend that brought me a really wealthy client who had a daughter that was playing soccer. I didn't know too many details because I didn't get into too many details. Um, but I immediately knew, like, I know what I'm good at. It's not that I do marketing videos. I do things like that. And I immediately said, like, hey, I really appreciate the offer. It's a very generous offer, too. But I'll pass you on to them because they'll take care of you way better than I can. And if you know someone that can do something that I'm the best at, come to me. And I promise I'll take care of you just the same way. And implementing that has done more long-term um, generating income. Um, simply because people know that I'm not just saying something to get the sale. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you got to know your lane, right? When I, when I was a young lawyer, I was a jack of all trades and, and people would come to me and I was the fixer in my firm. I was always in a law firm. Um, and I was the fixer and that included, you know, some wealthy son who was going 130 miles an hour in his car and, and wealthy client son. And I, I've got to get him out of the ticket or whatever it was. It was always fixing a problem, even though it wasn't a specified lane. And, and I did it and it was great experience. But after a while you become cognizant of the fact that you've got a specialty and, and we've become a specialized society. Everybody, you know, it, it, it is getting into uh, specializing in something. It's the only and way you can win. That, that's right. And, and people want somebody who knows it soup to nuts. Um, and so I make sure that I stay in my lane. And if I'm going to put somebody else in touch with a colleague or a referral, that they're really good in their lane. Because the last thing I want to do is send them off to somebody and then they're not well taken care of. So I, I value that. And, and staying in your lane is absolutely great. And, and people appreciate that. Nobody expects you to have every answer to be able to do everything. Um, but you can help them. And one of the ways you can help them best is guiding them to the right person. Yeah. Got you. And then kind of just to like kind of just bring back your college life. So when you were starting off and when you were like a young lawyer, did you always know that you wanted to be in law and 
and kind of how did you work that out? Yeah, I mean, you know, early on, I, I had I had a tragedy when I was a kid where my sister was uh, hit by a speeding driver in a residential neighborhood, and um, she never went to jail. Uh, she wound up Jeez. she wound up you know killing my sister and 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 there was no real repercussion. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, no. And so from then on, it led me to wanting to be. I was fascinated. That one of the guys I spoke with was a friend of a family who was a lawyer, and and he sort of set me down that path. And so. Uh, you know, even when I was acting, my first acting job in elementary school in a play was playing a Philadelphia lawyer. So it sort of, you know, led to that. And law and law and acting are very much symbiotic. And so uh, I always knew from a young age that I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't know what type of lawyer, um, but I knew it would provide a good life for my family. And my most important job as a kid that I wanted was to be a dad. And so for me, the, the two meshed because I knew that um, I could be I could be a father and provide a good you know, life for for my family. Uh, and, and if I went to law school, put in the hours, put in the time, and 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 got a career. Got you. So with that being said, it's like finding your why, and I think you found it pretty young. Um, especially for me, it's like my why right now is to be financially fit, and especially when I saw my family. Since like again, like I didn't have the best like upbringing in the sense of I wasn't given everything so that's why I'm working as hard as I'm working now just kind of just kind of just kind of going to go into that like what is your why like why do you wake up and do what you do every single day yeah I mean finding your why is huge right because it motivates you and that doesn't go away if you're just chasing dollars or you're just chasing uh something without having um a chip on your shoulder and a drive then you're never going to achieve that because you don't have the passion you don't have the, the the energy to do it for me um my why was easy. Number one, I wanted to help people. Um, I, I had seen some some bad stuff as a kid and and saw people helping um, pe uh, people who were in that situation. And and the second thing was, you know, my wife and I met when I was 19. Um, we started dating. Uh, she was 18. I was 19. We were, she was just out of high school. I was a, a freshman in college. And we started talking early on about having kids and everything else. And And I knew that if I was going to be a dad, much like my dad, I'd have to work my butt off and I'd have to provide for my family. And so that became my why. And it still is. I mean, I've got, I've got two daughters. One's a senior at Douglas. The other one's a, a sophomore at UF. They're my why. My wife and, and my kids are my why. Um, and that drives me. So every decision that I make is what's best for them, not just for me. And that includes, you know, uh, financial matters, setting them up with, you know, college funds and all that stuff, sacrificing, um, you know, my wife and I have decided to forego some career opportunities to stay in Parkland because we thought that was the best place to raise our, our family. Um, and and I, I couldn't be happier with the decisions that we made. I think uh, tragedy is very, how do I say this the right way? I'm just going to say, tragedy is kind of underrated as a form of getting yourself to do something. Like when something really bad happens, like when the shooting happened at our school, many people were enraged. Many people wanted to do something. They found a why and... They went and started protesting and everything was going on. It was very active. Um, but one thing that I saw personally, and I guess the reason why I have like a hard kick and I wake up so early and I just do things that I want to do is because personally, I can't speak for him, but personally, I feel like power comes from having the capital, having the connections and having things I can actually get things going. And I didn't find my time being as efficient. Um, I would say protesting. I still did all that stuff. But I, didn't, I, I knew that this really isn't going to change too much, but what will really change if I can build a company, if I can build a business, if I can do something out in the world that's providing meaningful impact, um, and then say I make $100 million and I can put that into kids that probably are in lower-income places, build up cities, and I realized that my goals have to be 10 times bigger if I wanted to actually make change. Um, 
but just seeing how people slip through the cracks and everything that's going on with like the person now and things are being delayed and just seeing how everything went like that I think I took that in a completely different perspective and I'm maybe now just realizing this but it really did affect me and in the way that I just really want to work my face off because um I also found like I probably got a little sense of like I feel like I should have been in the situation that person like died and like I know a lot of people that felt that way and I kind of lost a sense of identity and when I realized and it got that low, wow, this is getting, I'm not trying to get like this, but it, it is something important I feel like isn't talked about. When I, when you don't have a reason to like be around, you kind of realize what's really important. I say, okay, if I don't really care about my life, I might as well build something that's going to affect millions more in a positive way. And I was able to like work out until like I would basically almost pass out, like do things that I would have never believed I was doing simply because my sense of I deserve this, I deserve doing this was completely gone because I didn't care anymore. And uh, I don't know, like I, I didn't mean to get that deeper into like that. But yeah. when you said like tragedy, like it really does something to you and it just gets a kick in your butt like you'll never believe. It, it, first of all, it never goes away, right? It never, never goes away. Second of all, there is... I believe, and I'm sure there's studies out there, there is a survivor's guilt, Yeah. Um, you know, where you escape a situation where it could have been you. And, like, I wasn't even near the me. building or anything like that. It's not yeah. even that. It's just, like, I wished I was, you know? Yeah, but there is, you know, in general, there's a survivor's guilt. I think all the kids that were Douglas have it in some degree. Oh, yeah. Because they saw, I mean, it's not like this ethereal thing where it happened, you know, 100 miles away. It happened right there, and, and I think they have they have that. But... My my message um, uh, to all the kids who inspire me um, is is make your life matter. Yeah. You, you went through it. You went. We all went through a tragedy. The whole city and and town and especially the kids that were there. But when when that happened, and I saw um, all of our young people, some of them whom I coached since they were little kids, and and it was one of the kids that that died in the tragedy was a girl I coached in soccer. Um, but when I saw that happen and I saw our young people come out and be vocal, I don't care what their politics are. Put that BS yeah. aside, right? Yeah. Um, when I saw them come out and be vocal and not only be vocal, but be articulate, smart, driven, uh, passionate, it inspired me because like you said, you wanted to make some change in the world or do something that can make a change. That's why I ran for city commission is because before that I was concentrating on sort of, you know, larger issues or, or work or family. And when I saw the students come out and I said, listen, I want to be able to do something on a, on a local level to make a change. And, and my goal in running for city commission was to preserve Parkland, keep Parkland a safe place, place to live, a safe place to raise a family, a beautiful place, beautiful parks, beautiful amenities, um, and service our community. And that became my passion. And it was the students that, you know, inspired that. My kids too. My kids were, you know, they were the ones who as, as, as sad as they were, they wanted to go to Washington and they wanted to march. And, and we did that. Um, and, and it became less political, it became more about getting involved with your community more intimately, uh, helping those who are in need. Uh, we've got tons of, of people in our community who are still struggling with mental health issues and places like Eagles Haven and, and some of the charities that worked at. I mean, look at all the families that lost loved ones and then took that, that, that tragedy, that pain and suffering and put it into a yep. positive, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, momentum that they built, they built foundations and charitable organizations that are helping schools, raising money, helping children, pre preventing this from happening elsewhere. Um, and I think that's amazing. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely what motivated me to get involved. 
Um, here's an interesting question, and I don't know how you would take this, but um, you you were chasing really big goals, like huge things with um, what you're doing in your lawyer's practice and things like that, and then you almost took it small and you said, I want to focus on the local community. Um, would you have had that change in perspective if um, you probably weren't already successful? Was it because like you've already achieved the success that you wanted and now this is like the next step? Or how did you frame it in your mind? Because I just want to know more about that. There's part of that. I mean, there's part of that 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 I felt like I had accomplished things. I'd become a partner okay. at a law firm. You know, those when you, when you start in private practice, um, that's sort of the the pinnacle of oh, okay, you've achieved something, right? You become a partner, and I did that at my prior firm, and then came over to my current firm as a partner. So there's there's part of that. The other thing is that you know um, I, I found that the relationships that I had with people in the community um, that I could help they, they you know everybody okay. sits yeah. around the table and they all talk about how this should be this way or that but nobody's doing anything mm-hmm. and so i felt like well shoot i could do something I, I i know the community i love it um and and i could help to make that change and you know people um who have been here for a long time including the shooting have 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 looked at Parkland and they love it, but they've you know said here's some changes that are going on that we're not crazy about and and whether it's you know whether it's economic driven mm-hmm. yeah. or 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 environmentally driven whatever it is and so you know I thought that I can I could do that and, and so that's a big thing too because I know a lot of decisions are being made were very emotional and like understandably but it was like I feel this way so it should feel this type of way and the fact that you came in knowing that you have that logical sense of thinking as well and you said you can see both sides because you've felt both sides and you know what it's like to be fully like I'm sure in the lawyer practice that you've been in situations where like you have to make the logical decision even though some things may feel wrong absolutely um, yeah so bringing that into the community is probably a huge superpower that you may have and I wouldn't say an advantage but a um an extra perspective that we may not have. Yeah. I mean, passion drives a lot of things. And I have clients sometimes who will come in the door in the beginning uh, with a legal matter and say, you know, I don't care what it costs. I want to take this guy to task or this, or this company to task. Oof. And I want to spend, you know, as much as I can, I want to bury them, whatever it is. And there becomes a point where it's principle versus principle, AL versus LE, right? It's, it's, it's my, my passion, my emotion versus dollars and cents and cents in the sense of not only, C-E-N-T-S, but S-E-N-C-S, S-E-N-S, uh, S-E-N-S-E. Yeah. Because I have to be the one, like a therapist, sitting down and saying, listen, I know you're angry or I know you're upset or I know you feel betrayed, but you've got to do what's best for the business. You've got to do what's best for your family. You've got to do what's best for you. And sometimes that may not mean litigating for three years. Sometimes that may mean cutting your losses, going in a different direction, settling the matter and moving on and making money somewhere else or whatever. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes because people are angry, they're upset. And so for me, it's very similar in this context, right? Because there's a lot of emotion driving it, but you also have to pivot and say, here's what's best for the common good. Here's what's logical. Here's, you know, here's the analysis that we've done. And this is the path we should take forward. And this is why I love everything about business. And in front of businesses, sales and inboarding, onboarding people and things like that, because every good business owner knows the bridge between logic and emotion. And you have to understand both sides very well in order to sell a customer on a decision that you know with every piece of your heart that will be the better decision for them. And you have to convince them in a way that you feel them out and you tell them logically the same way. And it's a very, very unique skill that many people don't have. And the fact that you have it is very commendable. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I have always, I've seen businesses run 
or people run their lives where they're cutthroat and it's all about the oh, dollars and yeah, nobody, it's, it's and there's, there's no emotion in it, yeah. right? It's all about, you know, here's what makes financial sense. Here's what makes, uh, here's what's going to make me the most money, take me down the path. And then I've seen the other where people run their business terribly because they're operating on total emotion. Um, and they run their financial lives terribly because yes. they're operating on total emotion, whether it's an impulse buy or, or trying to keep up with the Joneses or, or they feel like they want to uh, uh, do something financially that doesn't make any sense. Um, so you've got to keep that middle ground. And I think the best business people and the people that are, are not only successful but also beloved are the ones that are able to merge those two things. They're able to take the emotion, like you said, they're able to take the financial logic and sense and put them together. They don't divorce themselves from either, but they merge the two of them and then make a logical decision. Got you. So when did you start to figure that out? When did when did it all start to make sense? Late. Was it called? Late? <laughs> Late? Okay. So kind of just walk us through when everything started to click and just when you started to realize that, hey, like instead of running my business on the money standpoint, I, I run it on logic and actual facts and actually feelings of a, of 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 people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean so I I it's a stupid analogy but I'll give it to you anyway. I had a case um when I was first practicing law, you start off at low end of the totem pole. So when I was a first year attorney, I was doing HOA and condo law and all these kinds of things. And the HOA wanted to kick a woman out of her condo because she had an oversized dog. So it was my fat dog case. And um, <laughs> they had restrictions in, in the condo docs that said you couldn't have a dog over a certain weight and everything else. And I remember litigating that case and, and talking to her. And then the woman hysterically crying on the phone with me that the HOA was coming down hard on her because she had this dog. It was her daughter's dog. And now she was taking care of it. And he had to, all these things. And... And I just decided, you know what, I am, I am, I am going to get to a place, including a law firm, where I don't have to make the decision to do something that is terrible as a human being, but good as, <laughs> but good for financial benefit, right? Yeah. You know, so um, I'll turn away, I'll turn away cases if I don't feel that the person that I'm going to be working with or working for has, has will take that advice and balance the two. Um, if, if somebody just wants to be a miserable son of a gun, um, oftentimes I won't work with them if, if I have that choice now, and I'm, I'm at the stage of my career where I can choose the to say land. no, to say no. Yeah. And sometimes the best cases, and I was taught this as a young lawyer, sometimes the best cases you ever handle, the ones you don't take. Because they're nightmare clients, nightmare situations, and it's not that you don't want to help them, but you know that they will never let you help them the right way, and 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 it's hard to figure that out. But um, if you do, you can you can be successful. Got it. So with me in my practice as a real estate agent, I had a, I had a client one time who wouldn't listen to a single thing I was saying, who wouldn't really justify anything I was saying, and wouldn't take any advice seriously. So we're so we're closing this deal, half a million dollar house, and the day before closing rips up all of his walls, rips up the flooring, does 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 the most unspeakable things in the world. And it's like looking back into hindsight 2020, I would have not taken on this client. He caused me so much damage, so much emotional damage and also <laughs> he also costed me money yeah. from it. So yeah. it's like um how do you separate the good from the bad? Like how do you look at a client and say I'm taking you on and how do, like cuz it's like people don't sh people don't show their like true colors off the start. So like what do you look for in a client when you're bringing on somebody? Yeah, listen, I mean, that's that's a prime example where you're not a value add because somebody's going to do whatever they want, even though you're the professional, you know better in terms of what they should and shouldn't do, but they don't want to listen or they're just terrible human beings. And, and you know, I, I will sit down with a client very early on, very early on, and we'll talk about their goals. And 
one of the telltale signs for me of goals is making the other side miserable. I'm not a divorce lawyer for a reason, right? Divorce <laughs> lawyers, and there are many good ones out there, many that don't follow that, but oftentimes in a divorce, everybody's so emotionally charged that they want their lawyer to be the hammer to go nail the other side. And I just, I just don't want to be that person. Yeah. You know, now if somebody does something wrong, if somebody's stolen from a company or, or they're, they're in breach of their contract and blatantly in breach of it, we'll go after them and we'll, we'll, we'll litigate the case and enforce the provisions and enforce the law. And I have no problem with that. I have no problem with holding somebody's feet to the fire and taking them to task. But if it's, if it's that over making the right decision, you get you, you you try to know that early on. You don't always do that. You know you're not always successful in identifying um, malicious, evil people. Um, but hopefully, you can discern that relatively quickly. And one thing that I do in uh, I when I have a hiring client, I'll do an intake form. Sometimes over the website, sometimes over a Zoom call, or in person. Um, and. I've been tweaking this intake form over time, finding new questions to ask them because when you ask the right question, you kind of get the right answers that you want. And I think one of the biggest questions that I normally ask them is, what are your goals? First of all, what are your mistakes? What are your goals? Where are you trying to go? And those three questions alone have helped me because when you say, what are your goals? If they say something like, I just want to be the best. When it's, normally it's a solopreneur. When it's a business, it's a different thing. But a solopreneur, especially like say a real estate agent, say a contractor, something like that. Um, they'll normally say like, I deserve to have the best clients. I deserve this. I deserve that. When it becomes from a self-centered version, you know it's hard to inject proper ideas because especially in branding and brand analysis and things like that, it's really about how do you transform your message into a way that your client will understand. If you're not willing to bend your own ways because you deserve a way to do something a certain way, um, things get tricky. And then if you can't inject advice into anyone or change around certain things without their permission, then it's a problem, you know? Yep. So uh, really... If you can just tell, and I know uh, I've worked, I've done real estate photography a lot, and like for sale by owners, I heard is a really rough one, simply because the whole reason why I've been for sale by owners is because they think they can do it better, and they don't believe the commission's worth it, and uh, most people can get around that, and most people, it's a different reason if you can work with it, but it's really the self-centeredness of I am on top of the world, and I deserve the best, no matter what, even if I haven't done what I deserve. Yeah, when you get into any business or any profession, if you divorce yourself from your standards, your 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 knowledge of what's right and wrong, your faith, um, I, I think you'll make mistakes um, yeah. because you'll sell your soul to the devil. And I've 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 seen that happen with people, and they go down that route, and and they wind up getting in trouble. Uh, I've seen lawyers go to jail um, because of that. But I have always, and as my career has progressed, and and I have always tried to integrate my personal character into my practice. Um, I don't believe in doing certain things. I have a, a good faith base. Um, I have a morality. I have a conscience. Um, I like people and I want to help people. And life is not a zero-sum game. Just because I win doesn't mean you can't also win or you have to lose. That's not the way life should be. And I also, as I've gotten older, and, and I've, I, I want to stay away from drama. I oh, want yeah. people who don't cause drama. And if, if somebody comes in the door or picks up the phone to me and they're overly dramatic and all they want to do is cause drama, that's a red flag for me. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, it's no different in the political realm. And you'll, you'll see some candidates who feed off of the drama and then some who just want to, you know, hunker down, do the work, help people. And, and as I said, not zero sum. I can help you and I can also do well. And, and so you can't divorce 
your conscience, your faith, your morality, your, your sense of right and wrong from business. Um, and, and I'm definitely um, a, a proponent of integrating the two. Uh, I did I had a speech class in college, and it was before I was even good at public speaking. Or I'm still not the best at public speaking, but I was not good at You're communication. You're pretty good. <laughs> and uh, I titled my presentation, Selling Your Soul. And I like that topic of selling your soul to the devil. Bear with me. Um, I started the presentation by saying, who wants to sell their soul? Obviously, no one raised their hand. They're like, this kid's crazy. Because I, I wasn't even friends with anyone in the class. It was bad. And I took a presentation on saying how not only is selling your soul to the devil, like just not doing things uh, in Christian ways or things like that, but it can also just mean going against your morals, going against your values, and making decisions that will set you up for failure in the end, like having um, kids early on, and then now you can't really chase your dreams as much as you'd like to, or um, just different things like that where it feels good in the moment, like not saving properly, not setting up your six-month fund, not doing things like that. And that's another way that I consider selling your soul, because if you aren't taking the steps to better your future self, then you're going to fall, and then you're going to be feeling like you don't even have a soul because you're doing things simply just to get by. Yes. No No one's perfect. None of us are perfect, oh, right? Oh, no doubt. But as you're going down the path, it's very easy to take a slight detour. Oh, yeah. And as you take a slight detour, you take another one, take another one, take another one, and no longer are you going down the path. Now you're really off course. And there's no difference with life or business because... Um, you know, somebody is married and they start to flirt or they start to, and that starts them down a path where eventually they're divorced. They're, they're, you know, uh, and, and sometimes divorces are, are unavoidable, but oftentimes you can trace it back to something. Same thing with business. The, the business is going well and all of a sudden they take a slight detour and they decide, you know what, I'm going to fudge my taxes a little bit, or I'm not going to count that. I'm not, or, or I'm going to screw over this vendor, whatever it is. And all of a sudden you'll see them off course. I get the benefit of that 10,000 view be, foot view because oftentimes my clients have come and whether it's intentionally or unintentionally they're off course and so I get the benefit of seeing the, the pros and cons of doing it the right way versus a different way there are plenty of people who again not perfect but stay on course and and keep their morality and keep their integrity and keep their reputation and they do awesome they do amazing and they have the longevity they're the ones who have the longevity it's the ones who detour a little bit who may be super successful for a while they're like a comet right they're super successful and then they fade out either they get in trouble or their their personal life collapses and therefore their financial uh life is is in ruins so I absolutely believe in that, and and it's 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 part of your values, part of your core uh, morality, part of your faith, and faith gives you a lot of those building blocks, and so it's definitely a part of of my life, my practice, the way I, I try to run uh, my home, my business, and also you know my public service. Got it. And then so just to add on to what you said. Um, a couple minutes before you said that you used to take on clients because when you were younger, you didn't have clients just, you know, knocking at your door. So you would just take on whatever you could get. But now it's like you're more financially fit and you're more financially secure. So you can kind of pick and choose. But what what are the steps that led you to being financially fit, more financially secure? And also um, to the sense of you can pick and choose who you're going to work with. Sure. I mean, when I was a young... When when you're a young professional in any profession generally, you don't have a choice. They, they hand it to you. And so um, that's what happened to me, right? When I, was at, when I was at one law firm, whatever I was handed to, I had to work on, um, including if, if the lawyer was uh, terrible, if the client was terrible, whatever it was. And, and that happens. And you cut your teeth and you learn your, the ups and downs of that, the pros and cons of that. And you get to hopefully a stage where 
you're in a position either because your business uh, partners or your or your firm or, or in the real estate, the, the broker, the agent, all have the same mentality as you, um, or you just do it yourself if you're an entrepreneur or if you're an independent. For me, as, as a lawyer working in a, law, a large law firm, um, there were certain firms that I would never work for. I learned as I was going through this because they had one um, philosophy, which was, Anything in the door, as long as we can extract money from the client, okay. we'll take and we'll do. And then I've gone now. I'm with. I'm with. And this is you know a, a path that I have chosen purposely. Um, I, I'm with a firm that has that sense of it. It's it's more of a family uh, atmosphere. Even though they're a very large firm, it was founded by 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 two partners, and then and then their family members came on. So it's definitely got that f- collegiality and family firm, uh, Cozen O'Connor, and and. I'm also a partner now and I'm bringing in my own clients. So I have the ability to say, this is a client I choose not to work with. And um, there have been financial repercussions for that. There's always financial repercussions. I, I won't make the money that I would have make, made with that client. But I believe that in the long term, I'll be more successful. Yeah. I'll be happier. I put my, my head on my pillow every night because I know that I've tried to do my best. I've done the right thing. I haven't tried to hurt somebody or screw somebody over or or violate some law that's going to put me in jail or, or take me away from my family. And we have enough stress in our lives. There are enough issues in life in general that you can't yeah. control. Sickness, death, um, you know, a loved one uh, 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 falling down, whatever it is that you can't control that'll give you reasons to not be able to put your head on your pillow at, last, at night. The last thing I want to do is create those or manufacture them because I have taken a shortcut or taken a path or worked for somebody that I don't believe is um, on the up and up. And I've turned down I've turned down job offers to go in-house or do something else with people who I didn't believe were people that I could stand behind, that, that I believe were, were, were of the same ilk. And so, you know, certainly there's been financial repercussions, but I think it's worth it in the end. Because I have a, a life and, and a wife and a kids, and I've got to teach my kids the same the same mantra that I'm speaking right now, right? I've got to, I've got to teach them that, and I want them to follow that. And so the last thing I want to do is be a hypocrite and and take a path that I wouldn't want my own kid taking. What point did you become financial financially literate? It was late. I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, my my dad was in banking. Um, and you know, it's like, uh, it's like a dentist with bad teeth. There are a lot of bankers out there who, who, um, know the business, know everything else, but don't teach those around them and, and are focusing on their business. I, I was never, you know, um, a saver. Um, when I was younger, I was always going out and buying a new car or leasing a new car, whatever it was. And it, it took me a while. And, um, one of the best things I did is, is there was a, a, a guy who came in, um, to talk to me about investing in life insurance for my kids. And he gave the whole speech of God forbid anything happens to you and anything else. And that started me on the path of, all right, I'm, I'm going to take out this additional life insurance, uh, went from term to whole life insurance. Uh, I'm going to put some money away for my kids. I, I, I had some, um, friends of mine who were much older than me, who had kids that were older than mine and told me, you know, what they were going for, through in terms of paying for college and all these other expenses. So I, I, I did the Florida prepaid. I did a 529 plan on I started investing for my kids' future. And I'm now at a point where that's paying dividends. My one daughter's a sophomore. The other one's going into college next year. And I have, I've yet to stroke a check to the school because between Florida prepaid by Bright Futures and everything else, we've got money set aside for her. Um, I'm also, uh, I think I'm a, one of the first in my family to ever go to law school. 
Um, and so I have plenty of family members who didn't go to college, didn't go, uh, didn't graduate high school. Some of them, um, you know, I, it, my, my mom's family were immigrants from Italy and, and other places. Uh, my dad's family were, were, were grew up on the lower east side of Manhattan in a very poor area and had to pull up their bootstraps and worked in the garment industry or whatever else. And so we, they weren't, uh, business professionals, uh, you know, they were immigrants and, and I've seen that and I've seen struggle. I I've seen times where, you know, um, not that we ever had an issue with putting food on the table, but I've seen family members who have struggled financially. And that has led me to say, I want to, even if it means sacrificing, you know, luxuries or exotic vacations or whatever else, I want to take the steps necessary to, provide for my future, put away money in my, my 401k or IRA or, or put away money for my kids um, and, and live a more modest lifestyle. Um, but in the beginning, it was hard because you're trying to keep up. You want, you want the flashy car. You want, you want the expensive watch. You want to take a cool vacation. And so when I was young, um, uh, when I was young and making money in, my, in the beginning of my career, I did those things and I learned those lessons the hard way. Um, not that it ever became a problem, but I learned, all right, you know, I don't need, I don't need a hundred thousand dollar car or I don't need, you know, a $20,000 watch. Uh, I'm fine with what I have. And you, you also, you look around and, and the, the, I hate to go back to the shooting, but tragedy helps you with that too, where you get perspective on oh, yeah. life. Yeah. You get perspective That's on important. life. That's right. And so you learn that. And, um, and I just came off a personal, you know, uh, battle with cancer and, and was, and, and have, wow. and have gone through that. And it gives you total perspective that that crap doesn't matter. Um, because it can be, it, it can be gone in a second. Uh, people make money, they lose money. Um, so if you save and you put away and you are comfortable, peaceful, um, that's a huge financial piece is a huge asset and people don't value it enough. And what you guys are doing, I think is tremendous because young people, especially if I had started when I was your age off to the races, it would have been awesome. I didn't do that. And now, so I'm, I'm doing it now or I'm doing it, you know, over the last 10 years or so, but financial peace is fantastic because marriages break up because of finances. People, people take the, the exit out of life because of finances. Um, you know, uh, uh, society in general is yeah. is broken sometimes because of financial issues. So we've got to make sure that our young people know that um, and they they act smart with their money. Um, it doesn't mean you have to go to college. It doesn't mean you have to do a, a certain path. But but be smart for your future. And not everything is about immediate gratification. It's about it's about the long term. It's about um, investing and and. We're in a market now in Parkland where real estate has skyrocketed. And if you look at people who have done the investment and, and taken that, it is, it is amazing that um, they have financially benefited. And, and I think our young people are really going to struggle because how do they start that process? Breaking into a house in Parkland and buying a house and investing in real estate in Parkland, you know better than anybody, is now it went from here to here as the starting point almost doubled. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and it's great in a sense for the people who have done that, but for our younger people or for uh, young married couples or somebody who wants to start investing in their first home or whatever, the, the bar is now much higher. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's, that's got some challenges to it. Yeah. And especially I can speak for me and Darren on this one. I mean, the reason why we started this is because we like, we saw that like it, it was, um, SOS. It, it, it was like a crazy, uh, stat. It was like for uh, $415 billion, um, 
that's how much Americans are in debt. Yeah, like of like number. of like twenty twenty. So we're like, okay, something needs to change. And it's like not even in debt, but it's like kids who think that they can go out and finance this thirty thousand dollar car. Like I had um I had a friend of mine, junior in high school, say, Hey Sean, um, love what you're doing. Um I I might get started, but just to start off, I'm gonna buy myself a first car. I was like, What are you gonna buy? He says, I'm gonna buy a twenty twenty one challenger. I said, How much? He said four he said forty thousand dollars. And then I was like Listen to a Money Talks Money Matters podcast, and then and then let me know if you want to buy one. But um, but now, but just kids nowadays just don't understand like how important it is to especially like start yourself off in life debt free. Yeah, and it especially was- like you're giving your kids the greatest benefit of all time of paying for their college or even investing in their future. Yeah, and not and, and like just 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 doing better for them so that they can do better for themselves. Absolutely, it was a it was a huge financial SOS, and uh, I think. I like we both like grew up in scenarios where like finance wasn't always the biggest thing talked about or probably taken care of properly. And I would look around and see people making these decisions, seeing myself make the decisions. And then it came to a point where um, I had a year I was doing probably like a thousand a month in like photography, which was like to me, I've never seen money before at all. So I was like, I'm balling. So I bought like a broken motorcycle and a broken car. And I was like, I'm having a good time trying to fix everything up, having my own time. And then uh, the car broke down and then I found myself, it was a car that uh, my parents lent me, but I was like fixing it up because it was already not in too good pieces. Um, And when I found myself, when everything broke apart and didn't work and I realized like that was it and I lost a few gigs, like things just completely fell apart and I'm stuck here with $2,000, no car, and I need to figure out a way to get to work. And I see myself buying a $1,300 Mustang that I was, and it was still like the BS in my mind. I was like, oh, it's stick shift, so you'll save money on gas. Like the random articles that would validate my feelings. And when I bought that, and then I had to put another $3,000 just to get it running. And then that broke down after three months. And it was just the whole thing of, I don't know anything. And like, <laughs> I don't know anything when it comes to money, when it comes to decision making, when it comes to just peace because i was stressed out of my mind and i was like something's got to change so that's when i started to dive into the world of finance and since then it's just that mission statement of and we look at the stats of what's going on in the world this is a problem oh my god it's it's, a problem it's crazy and it's all over i just watched squid game which if you haven't haven't watched it is all financially (laughs) based right people are literally giving up their lives to try to get out of selling your soul that's right selling their souls and and it is what you guys are doing is so needed because um, as I said, I learned later on in life, but, but others, you can course correct at any time. It's never too late to course correct. But if you start out with the fundamentals that you guys are preaching, boy, you're, you're in so much of a better position long-term, um, you know, compound interest is something that, that really merits digging into, um, because you'll see putting a hundred dollars away later on will be a million dollars and nobody appreciates that. And nobody, you know, our society in general, we don't have people who are investing in their retirement savings. We don't have people who have any sort of savings account for the rainy day scenario. And that's what causes them to, sometimes it may cause them to make bad decisions. They, they make, they, they take shortcuts or they're super stressed and that affects their health. I mean, it's all these things. I mean, the, the ripple effects of bad economics or bad finances is immeasurable. Um, so what you guys are doing is, is so valuable. And uh, I think Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein said the best. He says, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. For those who don't understand it, pay it. For those who do, earn it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. <laughs> and so, you know, what? as I said, what you guys are doing is is so beneficial to our young people and, 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 and beyond. I mean, I have a... 
I have a younger brother who's 12 years younger than me um, who's one of my personal heroes because he did, um, he course corrected. Uh, he did what everybody does. They, they get married, well, not everybody, but most people. They get married and they've got to have nice cars. They've got to buy a house. And eventually he saw that he was in debt. Um, he, he owned a nice house that they had fixed up, pool and everything else, and realized they were house poor. They could, you know, they were struggling just to make the payment, but they weren't enjoying their lives. And it was having an impact on his relationship and everything else. So they sold the house, took the money that they made off the house, paid off debt, wow. started renting an apartment for a few years, and decided that they were never going to be in debt again. And, and it, is, it is amazing to me that they took that sacrifice and now they're reaping the, the rewards and benefits of that. So it's never too late to course correct, but it's also never too early to correct. start. And I think um, there's a quote where it's like, um, live like no one else. So one day you can live like no one else. And I think, and I think that's big, especially for you and your brother. Um, so with that being said, so when it comes to finances, are you doing anything as like the city commissioner to like actually help the growth of finances, like, and especially like to expand the knowledge in the communities? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we, we are trying to, there's a couple of things. Number one, I want the city to be fiscally responsible. And we have a very, yeah. we have a very good focus on that in the city. We're balancing budgets. We're good. not getting into unsustainable debt. Uh, we're not getting in projects that, that may, may have a, a short term benefit, but a long term penalty. Mm -hmm. So, so we're trying to be very fiscally responsible in the city. Um, and that trickles down to, you know, taxes and everything else, because, um, sometimes there'll be decisions that have to be made where it's either we, we, we adjust the tax base a little bit or the city is in debt in five years. And then we've got to adjust the tax base a lot. And that's going to have, you know, ramifications on property values and everything else. So I'm, I'm laser focused on that in the city and our, and our, city manager and commission and mayor are as well because they're all business people so they get it um the other thing is is i want to make sure um that we are we are providing all of the services that keep our property values high we have right now highest property values that parkland has ever seen yeah. but we've got to make sure that we've got the accoutrement services whether it's our fire rescue whether it's our police whether it's public safety um, whether it is our, our parks and infrastructure, um, whether it is just the the aesthetics of our city so that we keep those high. It's also deciding which businesses shouldn't come into Parkland. Sometimes you, you, you can say, oh, we're going we're gonna to allow businesses in because we get a tax revenue, but that may not be the best thing long-term for everybody's property values and their way of life, their quality of life. I want to keep Parkland a charming, small-town feel, although we're growing. And so there's definitely you know a, a big aspect of finances that play into uh, the policy that we set as the commission and the mayor um, in the city. And, and I, our city manager is laser focused on that. She has a financial background, so she is, is definitely on top of that, which is great. Um, but it, it's, it's, it, it trickles into, you know, everything, your business, your personal life, uh, and all of that. I mean, I have seen, you know, you look at people who are investing in the market in the last year, see the growth that they've had in this time. And, and it, it's, it's amazing. But as I said, it's never too late to start and it's never too early to start. I, you know, I'm preaching it to my 20 year old daughter who's got her own investment account. I'm preaching it to my 18, 17 year old daughter, but I'm also preaching it to my, you know, 39 year old brother. So it's, it's never too late to start and it's never too early to start. Love it. Um, real quick, just want to go back to the financial piece and just reiterate how important that is because, uh, first of all, before we jump into that, this is amazing what you're doing. And I feel like Parkland needs this tremendously and to keep that same, uh, standard of finances is important. Yeah. Um, because 
I've seen other cities where they had their ups and then that one person came in and just did whatever was emotional again and they just completely destroyed it. So to know that you're keeping that standard is super important and means you're supposed to be there, really. Um, but I just want to tie back into financial peace because it, it's super important. And uh, you were saying that you make irresponsible decisions when you don't have that type of peace. And it comes really back to um, not having the mental capacity because if every single one of your thoughts is, I want to do this, does it allow me to live? Like it restrains your level of thinking big to an extent that I didn't even know I'd imagine. And I just finished my six month savings and instantly I was like making decisions, saying no to more things, saying yes to things that are proper. And I'm moving at a speed that I didn't know was possible. Just because I have that level of peace, I don't get stressed out when I make a certain decision. I don't get all jittery like I used to. I was like, oh my gosh, my world's like going to explode. Yep. Or I don't get super excited either. It's peace. It's neutral and it's great. You know, yeah, it's yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, uh, you're going to blow a tire. You're going to have car repairs. You're going to have a house repair. You're going to have a, a personal family member that may need some financial help. Whatever it is, there's always going to be hiccups. But if you and you're going to have people that you want to help. Yeah. OK. But if you don't have the resources, then it's going to be throw down a credit card, be stressed out, especially the ones you want to help. That's right. And, and that's a terrible way to live. And, and a lot of people are living that. It's a shame. But you look at it and a lot of people are living that. Um, I love the people who are able to uh, go and, and help on a charitable cause and throw money down that you're like, that's crazy money. But it's because they've they've lined up everything to be able to do that and have an impact. Um, and it doesn't have to be big. It could be small. It could be, you know, giving, giving a waitress a $20 tip on a $5 bill, whatever it is. I mean, that, that matters a lot to that person, especially in today's day and age. So you're able to help people. You're able to help your family and provide for your family, but you're also able to, to deal with life's challenges, financial challenges as they come without stressing yourself out and being miserable. So do you have any rules of, um, finances that you follow like i would say day to day yeah so i i, I changed my i changed my methodology i, I have an eight-year-old jeep <laughs> that, that i drive that's fully paid off uh that has almost two hundred thousand miles on Whoa. i'm not going out and getting i'm not going out and getting i mean it looks very nice but i'm not going out and getting the new hundred thousand dollar car or new you know lease every 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 year or two which i had done plenty of in my past life mm -hmm. um uh, I have um, uh, money that is is taken out of my account, so I never see it. That goes into my retirement savings, goes into my Roth, goes into um, uh, continuing to pay for my kid's 529 plan, even though one's in college, because I know she's going to go to grad school. Um, I'm investing in my house because I know that that's going to pay off, um, and and I'm going to be able to enjoy it. So it's a win-win. Um, but we're also, you know, we're also not moving to, you know, even though. Property values are high. We're also not moving to a bigger house or a nicer house. We don't need it. We don't need it. And and that's the that's the part that people have to get over is what do you need? Um, what do you need to be happy in life? Um, as I said, you know, I went this last year. I went through I went through cancer. I had surgery. I had chemotherapy, and it gave me perspective that I don't need a lot of money to be happy. I can be happy with less. I don't need a lot of things to be happy. I need my wife. I need my kids. I need my family. I need my friends. And I need to be able to feel like I'm, I'm helping my, my community. I'm, I'm, I'm earning my keep in my job. And so it gives you total perspective. Um, and and if, you're, if you're starting on that route from the beginning, boy, you're, you're so much ahead of the game. You guys are so far ahead of the game. I can't tell you enough because to take somebody who is under, under 20 years old or under, under 25 years old and start them on that financial peace path 
is huge, is huge. My parents didn't do it. My grandparents did because they lived through the depression and they saw that mm. I don't need a lot. So they stayed in the same, my grandparents on my dad's side stayed in the same union co-op, which became a condo on the, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan for their entire lives. They never went out and bought a big house. They never went out and bought, you know, fancy things. But as they got older and they were more financially comfortable, they were able to take trips together. They were able to give to family members. They were able to provide for themselves in their later years when they needed, you know, significant care as, as they were, you know, nearing the end. Um, and and it was a huge it was a huge role model for me. I have a great aunt and uncle who um, never made a lot of money, raised four kids, put them through college, lived a very modest lifestyle. But guess what? They retired early. They're playing golf and tennis. They enjoyed their lives. They were able to give to their grandkids. They were able to buy a place down here in New Jersey and, and go back and forth. And their lives were meaningful and pleasurable. I never saw them stressed out about finances because they lived, you know, modestly. Now, if you make a lot of money and you've got it put away and you're doing all the things, you can go out and buy the fancy car because to you, it's it's not putting you in a position where you're 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 you're, you're servicing the debt to the point where you can't handle it. Yeah. It's a much smaller percent of your income. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it's all about it's all about um, it's all about what you can afford, right? $10 to somebody may feel like $1,000 to somebody else. It's just the reality. Yeah. But if you're doing the financial things, God bless you, go out and buy that $150,000 car, right? <laughs> yeah. If you can, if you, if it's paid off or you're not putting your family or, or yourself course. in financial debt, go do it. But it's priorities. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and there becomes a point where, and listen, we have it here, right? We have a very nice community. We have a lot of nice houses. We have a lot of people who have a lot of money that they're making. But some of them are living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. But you look at them from the outside, and you're like, "Oh my God, they're driving, yeah. you know, the expensive car. They've got, they've, they're taking these these fantastic trips. They're buying, you know, designer handbags and everything else." And but you don't know behind the scenes. And this is this is the fun part because some people think we're kind of crazy for doing something like this in Parkland because they're like, everyone has everything in Parkland. Um, all right, I'm not gonna. That's I was gonna say something personal, but I don't want to. I'm not there yet to say that. But Keeping up with the Joneses is even worse in areas like this yeah. more than ever. It's not the areas where it's modest in like Fort Lauderdale or something like that, where even Fort Lauderdale is nice, but there's areas where it's modest and whatever. In Parkland, where everywhere the grass is cut, the trees are trimmed, everything like that, you want to make sure you don't look like you're an outsider. And it is easier than ever to buy that $40,000 car or anything like that because it's uncomfortable to live modest because that's not normal here but little do most people know the people that are actually living like the way they are did the due diligence before yeah and that was we have more conversations like this we realize and i think when we started this podcast i learned that more than ever because I, I thought that but i wasn't sure but as we had conversations with the, the real heavy hitters the ones that were doing it their families taking care of everyone's good they slept like on a couch at one point like it was and it just goes to show that there's so much more behind what's really seen and we're the whole point of this is to show that yeah what you're doing is especially relevant, even more so in Parkland, because yeah. of what you just said, right? We we have made, and I, I'm guilty of it too. We have made very nice lives for our kids. Um, we have we have brought them into a community that is safe. They don't have to worry about walking down the streets and getting robbed or mugged or killed or raped or anything. We we have brought them into a community that has beautiful homes and and landscape and parks and everything else, and and you see 
the lifestyle that people are leading, the cars they're driving, the clothes they're wearing, the, the trips they're taking, the jewelry they have. And, and you do, it, it is human nature to want to be competitive or keep up with that. But our young people are put in a position where oftentimes they're, they're starting from ground zero because they, they don't have the knowledge that you guys are trying to impart to them from their parents or their grandparents. So they're starting with no financial acumen. And they're going to try by, by nature to try to keep up and to try to live the same lifestyle that their parents or their neighbors have lived. And, and without the background that you guys are giving them, it's going to be not only impossible, but it's going to put them in a hole that they may never be able to dig out from. So it happen. It's so, scary. It is. And yeah. so Parkland is an even better place to do it because, um, Listen, I'm a car guy, right? I love cars, so I love looking at all these cars. And back in the day, you know, I had everything, uh, all the different cars. But now I'm at a point where I see somebody with a nice car, and I'm like, that's fantastic for them, but I don't need it. And and I have had the benefit of having some some good friends of mine who are far more financially independent than I am right now, who are who are far more uh, savvy in terms of the market and investments and everything else. Um, but they're the first ones to tell you that, you know, having a lot of money, uh, is one thing, but being able to say, I can pay for that, but I don't need it. I've heard it's that huge. Well. Yeah. It's huge. Right. I can go out and buy that right now and pay it cash, but I don't need it. And, and that's, that's the discipline. That's the, the knowledge that, that is, is vital. Yeah. That, that right there is what's that's, that's wealth. Yes. That is absolutely. wealth. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Or, or, or you know what? There's an opportunity here, and I can go and and invest in that opportunity, and I don't have to leverage, mm. you know, my my lifestyle. I don't have to. I don't have to leverage my family's future or anything else to do that. Last Huge. year, I was able to drop twenty thousand dollars on camera gear because I'm investing in my production business, and awesome. I was. I was, it was crazy because I was looking at Mustangs before and like nicer Mustangs after my Mustang broke down. I know, smart guy, but. Yeah. I was so caught up in like, man, this looks cool. This is fun. If I got a watch, like I can afford that. But I just, something that, that, that hurt that I got from that whole crash was like a scar that I just don't want again. And I would, my friends would be going now. It's like, I don't want to do that today. Like I'm a little over budget this month. And it sounds stupid and it's hard to understand. And then it all made sense when I just dropped a bunch of money. I was like, Oh, and I took on bigger clients and I was like, oh, and then I had conversations with people that I never thought I had conversations with because I invested in skill sets rather than things that are going to depreciate. Yeah. It's not even about to depreciate, depreciate an asset because you can buy stocks that are depreciated. It's, it's not just about that. It's more what's useful to you most right now. And I found that investing in my skill sets and investing in things that are going to drive what I love to do and what I feel is fulfillment, that energy that I can get from that is just gonna, it has been already, it's just skyrocketing me into places I never thought I'd even go. That's awesome, that's awesome. And, and listen, we're a long way, and I keep on going back to it, because I, I view my grandparents and, and some of my relatives who went through the depression as being yeah. you know, the people that I should model myself after. Because they saw when there was nothing. They saw when they didn't have enough food on the table. So you talk about the luxuries that we have in our life, you know, um, and, and, and their lifestyles were changed as a result of that. They made decisions later on as a result of that where, you know, they were, they were maybe to a fault at times, fiscally tight, where they, they knew that they had to provide for their family, they had to provide for themselves for the long term, and that things could change like that. And I, I, have, I have tried as I've gotten older to adopt that philosophy. But the thing about it, though, is you can't explain that. Like it's hard to explain that feeling sometimes because that level of 
pain is something that's like you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy sometimes how low things can get sometimes so you can say that and this is a problem i guess personally i'm running into when i'm trying to put together branding stuff and things like this for this is uh we're trying to paint the picture of the sos but when everything's good and even though you're making all your payments and the rainy day hasn't come yet it's hard to paint that picture and i guess we're trying to form the stories and use the stories that people tell us as that picture it's just a weird point it's especially hard to do it to young people because you feel invincible you when you're younger you feel invincible and that concludes financially invincible right feel like you're always going to be able to make money you're always going to you're always going to get more so i'll 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 buy something off the the spur of the moment or or i'll go out and and leverage myself and get into debt but our system unfortunately is built on trapping people in that debt cycle our system is built on credit scores and everything else why they want you to get in debt you know the businesses thrive because you are paying outrageous interest on your credit cards, or you're paying. You know you're you're leasing a car, and every three years you're getting yeah. an, another one and getting back into the debt cycle, or you're buying a house that you really can't afford, let alone the maintenance of the house, but you can't afford to pay the mortgage, or you're just barely banking it. So our system is built. People make a lot of money because other people are in debt, and so we've got to learn from that. But it is it is. I, I get it that it's hard to speak to the audience that you're trying to capture because you feel this, and I did at 18 or 19 or even later, you feel financially and, and physically invincible. And so you can give them all the lessons, but you're right. If they don't live through it, it's hard for that to resonate, but you got to keep on preaching it. And you guys are going to be the role models for success because people are going to see what you're doing, not only with this podcast, but in your personal lives and going to see that success. And it'll, it'll trickle to your friend base. It'll trickle to your fan base and to the listeners. And it'll have ramifications that you won't even be able to appreciate right away, but it'll show down the line. So keep on, keep on doing it because our young people, especially in this community need it. And it's, it's a value that that is, it can't be overstated. Got you. And then kind of just to finalize things and uh, especially this being the last question, since you talk about starting off so young and how it's such a benefit to be so young, what would you have done differently if you were younger? Like looking back now. Yeah, I mean, my wife and I got married very, very, when we were young and started having kids and bought a house and did all those things. And I don't regret any of that because we we've raised our family and, and have lived in, in a nice place and, and, uh, and my kids are doing well. But what I would have done is I would have sacrificed the luxuries that I thought I needed at the time for investing in in my future, whether that was investing in more real estate. I mean, I, I look at the Heron Bay Golf Course as a prime example, right? We're dealing with that issue in the city. That Heron Bay Golf Course sold not too long ago for about $4 million. Now look what it's worth and, yeah. and look at all the fighting that's going on over, right? And And I've preached that to the city since I've come into the commission that that our investment in land and we've acquired some parcels of land here and there or maintaining parcels of land um, is going to pay dividends in the long run because they're not making any more of it. And so I had, I wish as a young person, I had appreciated that and I would have foregone the, the, the fancy car with the big lease payment or the exotic trip or whatever it is, the, the, the luxuries that I didn't really need into you know what? I'm going to put money away so that I can buy that townhouse and start to rent it out, or I'm going to put money away so I can invest ten grand into that business or that stock. And I'm I'm, I'm trying to do those things now, but 
I'm also, yeah. if I had done them 10 years ago, let alone 30 years ago, think of where I'd be exactly. or think of what the value would be. My house has doubled in price since I bought it or more, you know, eight, nine years ago. Think about what it, what I, what it would have happened if I had started doing these things, you know, 25 years ago. So what you guys are doing, is, you're going to see um, is going to pay dividends tenfold uh in the long run and and it's the lesson that that i try to impart to my younger brothers i've got three younger brothers who are 8 10 and 12 years younger to me and sometimes they don't want to listen to it but i've tried to say listen you know sacrifice the the luxuries for what you need and don't get don't get over your head in debt stay debt free um try to you know try to invest if you're going to in in something that you know is going to be worth more in in five or ten years and you're speculating to some extent but real estate is a pretty good one um in parkland people people have have really benefited over the last 10 years um so um, keep on doing those things and i wish i had done it sooner yeah well i mean you put it pretty simply just just do the simple things and just really just just conserve yeah, it's yeah like, that's, that's it's like that's, fundamentals. That's it's what like you're sports. preaching. That's, it's uh, like that's sports. It. It's like sports. It's like the guy who goes out and says, you know what? Instead of going out tonight and partying, I'm going to go and I'm going to take a hundred swings uh, on uh, of the of the bat and work on uh, work on my swing. Well, guess what? If he keeps doing that every day and sacrifices the partying and everything else, his swing in a year from now is going to be fantastic. Yeah. And it's no different for finances. It's no different for life. And so you, you got to put in the work. And putting in the work in in the financial realm means sacrificing means means living on what you need not what you want and 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 trying to push those emotions down trying to push down keeping up with the joneses and and focusing on your fundamentals and as i said i learned later and i now have some mentors uh who are friends who are teaching me that and we're uh, you know investment accounts and some other things um and, and i'm learning it but um but if I hadn't, if I hadn't done the thing, the little things that I did when I was younger for my kids and everything else, I'd be, I'd be out of my mind stressed right now and not be able to, you know, pay for college or worry about where the money's coming from to, to go out and, and, you know, get, get them a car or, or whatever else. So, you know, keep, keep at it guys. I, I think that the, the value that you're providing to this community and to young people is huge. I can't say it enough. Well, I think you add a great value, and um, Do you I want to plug any socials. Yeah. Well, um, so <laughs> I I am I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm running for re-election coming up. Um, I want people to get involved in our community. Come out to our commission meetings. Um, I want people's voices. Um, we have we have a number of issues going on in the city. The Heron Bay Golf Course is one. I want to hear from people uh, about about their views. Um, and I just want people to get more involved in our community. We have, you know, we have the anniversary of, of February 14th coming up. We're going to have a ton of events uh, for the community, for the families, show some love to them, show some love to all the kids and their families, because it's not just the ones that suffered immediate, you know, loss of life or anything else. Everybody is, is suffering. Um, and, and just get plugged in because the benefit, I, you know, I see, I see, I see people in our community who have become my inspirational heroes. And you say to yourself, man, they're spread so thin. They're doing all these things whether it's whether it's community uh, charities or or helping out with you know some of our uh, some of our most needed uh, most in need um, residents and and then you look at them and they're happy they're so fulfilled in life and you say to myself they're running around ragged but they're super happy and it's so rewarding so get involved in your community you know come out to all the events that we're having um, I, you'll 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 enjoy it and, and you'll give back and and it's what we try to do we try what, what we try to teach our kids. So I appreciate uh, the time. I, I'm honored to be on here with you guys.
keep at it. Anything I can do to help, I'm here. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank All you. Right, thanks, guys.